Are you ready? You've been so patient, but we have been cooking and then some. This is OSD Obsessive Sneaker Disorder episode 366, which was taped live at the African American Footwear Forum in Portland, Oregon. And this time we decided to hit you with a two piece. Yes, we sat down with legends, heard some defining stories, laughed, cheered, and then some. In part one, you get the legendary Scoop Jackson, and in part two, the one and only Wilson Smith III. So get ready, don't be shy, spread the news, OSD, episode 366. Boom! All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Obsessive Sneaker Disorder. This is, for those of you who are experiencing Obsessive Sneaker Disorder for the first time, this is a little bit of backstory on who we are. We're the first sneaker podcast in the industry, started in 2007, and the longest running with, before today, 365 episodes, over 750 hours of programming, 10 million audio downloads, hundreds of thousands of video views. And from that, we, in 2011, started the Social Studies Sneaker Industry Education Program. The first, officially, for a Division I school, Drexel University, we have residents, but we also teach online and we also teach private sessions. Anyone interested, that would be a separate conversation. But just to let you know that the people you have in front of you here, we are very passionate and skilled and experienced in being able to sit here and share with you today what we do with our illustrious guest. His name is Mr. Scoop Jackson. Round of applause for him. So D. So now I'm official since I'm on now the show. You're official. I'm, I'm, now I'm Fi official. Finally, finally, finally official. Right, because I'm finally finally. Official. this is your first time on the show yeah, now. Right, yes, right, sir. I'm finally official. First finally. time. But what people don't have to, what people don't realize right now is we're actually doing this at the African American Footwear Forum in Portland, Oregon, the yep. second, you know, iteration of it, which is special because you think about all the people that have traveled from near and far mm -hmm. to be here in Portland, Oregon now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we've taken some time off, but we haven't stopped producing, we haven't stopped sharing, we haven't stopped telling stories, right. AKA right. kick stories. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But you know, now the, the key is, we've and never we, had you on the show. I know, I know, yeah. but, it, but it's appropriate because you know, this, the, the whole African-American footwear form is, you know, it's, it's about us. So, and we're telling stories about us and our involvement from different levels in this, in not shoe industry, but shoe culture. Absolutely. And sneaker culture. So it's appropriate that I'm on in this time and this space. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I'm honored and thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, man. Thanks, no for, thank thanks you for, for joining for us. Thank you for being here oh, with us, Scoop. Um, as a trailblazer and a vanguard in what ultimately became this whole sneaker journalism um, industry mm -hmm. and form of expression for our love of sneakers. Right. How you feel being where we are today with knowing where your journey began and all the experiences oh, and the stories. Great, I, I love it because it's like all the passion that we put into it from a storytelling standpoint and trying to uh, bring what you know, many of us looked at as a subculture mm -hmm. you know, into the light and for that light to shine and illuminate so brilliantly and so vastly especially because it was done at the time when digital became a thing, right. when the internet became a thing, so it, it gave a breath of fresh air to that subculture. So now it's not even considered a subculture anymore. Right. 
You know, it, 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 it is a basic functional breathing culture in American and global society right now. So to, you know, come from us, you know, telling stories of sneakers in the back of Slam magazine, you know, mm -hmm. to where it is now, it's, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, you really, because that's what you want to happen to things you're involved in, things you're passionate about. You'd like to see them live the life that they, they're supposed to live. And those of us who have been into sneakers for a long time, and that's been our, you know, one of our life's passions, to see, you know, something that is your life passion finally live the life that you felt that it should live is a, is a, is a gratifying thing. You know, because you know you're not the only one. Right. You know, and, and all of us OG sneakerheads, you know, or sneaker snobs, as we tend to call <laughs> us older dudes, because we get real snobbish as we get older. You know, um, it's, it, it's cool to know that we're not the only ones in the room anymore. It's, it's, right. it's very similar to what, you know, uh, comic book nerds are experiencing right now. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they used to think, well, I was only one, or I was maybe one or two in my school or on my block that was really, really deep into comics, you know? And come to find out, because of, you know, digital one thing, but also the investment of Marvel and what Marvel's become as a global entity, organization, yeah. as an entity, they're like, well, damn, I, th there was more than just me, one or two on my block. There's right. millions of us now, and now yep. that culture is living the life it's supposed to live. So, you know, it's, 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 we're seeing things parallel in the way things are going, so I feel no different about the way sneaker culture has, has gone, and I'm, I'm happy for it. So seeing how things have changed so much, and we have gone digital, Take us back just for a little bit. Okay. Take a couple steps back. Let's go back to where you grew up and your first kind of sneaker experience where either the sneakers made an impact on your life or maybe someone even close to you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, came from Chicago, south side of Chicago. Um, started off on 47th Street and then moved over into South Shore. Um, Started off at 71st Street, which I actually live not too far away. I've never left South Shore since I was five years old. So um, around around that time, Chuck Taylors were the sneaker. Mm. You know, everybody was rocking Chuck Taylors. They were rocking them on the court and even casually, you know, with my uncles. And we were doing PF Flyers as kids, you know what right. I'm saying? Yep. Uh, so we hadn't graduated to the Converse All-Stars yet. So, so, so Chuck Taylor's was a step up from the PF Flyers. Yeah, because you know, I mean, at, at that young age, you were dealing with what your parents bought you. So, you know, they're okay. like, all right, you know, my dad would have his Chuck Taylor's, but he'd take us to community, you know, local shop, and uh, y'all are getting the PF Flyers, y'all getting the Skippies, and, <laughs> and there you go, you haven't graduated. <laughs> so what happened to me was there, was, there was a sports store that was not in our neighborhood, but it was, you know, in, on the south side. It was called Savoy Sports Store. It was on 79th and um, Cottage Grove. It was a couple of miles from my crib. And on their little awning thing, you know, Chuck Taylor All-Stars, $9.99. <laughs> so I'm like, $9.99? $9.99, that's how much they were back then. And I'm like, at that time, I'm like maybe in third or fourth grade. So I'm like, all right, I got to find a way to get $9.99. Quick. So I'm, I'm, I'm washing dishes, what we call busting suds back in the day. You know that. Yeah, busting suds, yeah. I'm, yeah, I washed the dishes for a dollar. I'm getting that push along. I'm cutting people's grass. Give me another dollar. I'm doing that because I'm going to get my 9.99. Because Wait. what happened at that time was Converse stopped making just black and white gym shoes. They had bounced oh, into the primary the colors. colors. Oh. And with the colors came the change of colors on the piping. So the red and the blue piping was on the outer sole of the shoe. And if you really know the history of Converse Chuck Taylors, you used to be able to turn the 
the tongue, the tongue over. over. Yeah. And it had a, a label plate for you to put your name and graffiti your name on yep. it. Right. So the older cats, I was like in my single digits. The teenagers, that's what they were doing. You know what I'm doing? Flipping that tongue. Flipping the tongue. And also, remember, you used to crochet your shoes and do oh, the different things. Oh, man, the laces, styles. yep. All that stuff was going on, and I'm like, all right, I got to get my 9.99. So quick. Finally got my 9.99. <laughs> right. Finally got my 9.99. I think, I can't remember what my first color was. I want to say, I think it was orange. Because mm. it was red, orange, blue, and green. And then it was still the black and so white. So black and white, yeah. So, you know, I got my oranges. Then I had to get some more money to go back so I could get the orange laces. Because, oh. yeah, right, you had to stay fly. Yeah. So... That was when I was like, this is more than just shoe stuff because it was something about being in possession of that. And it wasn't, it wasn't just being cool. You know, it was just something like, yo, this made me feel a certain way because right. this is what all the older kids, everybody was rocking and now you felt like you were a part of something. And, and into that. Right, and I was like a young and I'm like, yo, this is some, I finally got my first pair of Chuck Taylors. I got to script my name in, you know, do my name right. And I'm... At my point, I was fly. You know, you, you, you go to sleep and you put them over your bed. You look, you know, you, you, you wake across. up in the morning, right? You're like, oh, they're still there and all this. So that's when it started. But it didn't last long for me because right around that same period of time, and being a basketball head, Walt Frazier had signed a deal with Puma. Yeah. And Walt mm. Frazier was like iconic, especially in Chicago. He was iconic in New York. He played for the Knicks. Right. But he had Chicago roots, and he went to Southern right. Illinois University, yep. and he was like a legend there. And his son was at the same school I was going to at the time, mm, Walt Jr. So there was a connection to Walt Frazier. And when he signed that deal with Puma, that changed the game because in our minds, he was really the first athlete to have his own signature shoe. And right. he had Clyde on the side right above, mm. you know, the logo. And it's like, oh, man, that was a was a hot. Now, both of my parents were affiliated with the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. So, and if you know, back in the 70s, back in the day, you know, we were on this black power, black freedom, black liberation, you know, movement where, you know, our dashiki spoke for us, our afro spoke for us, mm -hmm. our bracelet spoke for us, you State, know what I'm saying? Statements right. and a lot statements, of different things everything, that everything, everything, that's what we were on, you know, we were, we were in a movement. So, Puma, released a red, black, and green Clyde. Ooh. Right. Which I, I don't was, think was ever released again. I, right, right. <laughs> I was in fifth or sixth grade at the time. Game so changer. The, the Chuck Taylor thing was quick, because I was like, I got to have those. Time for Clyde. Right, I got to have those. I got to, so I, I forgot how I got them. And so Voice Sports Store had them at their store. They had them in the window. You know, so I'm like, you know, you're speaking, and, and I tell you that story because that took the whole sneaker thing to another level because it wasn't about your personal mm. aesthetic. It became this shoe meant something more than just you wearing it. This yeah. was a statement shoe. This was something that this once people saw it on your feet. Or once you had it on your feet, you, self, you, said, you, you, you were like, yo, I'm a part of a movement. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm a part of something bigger than just me. Yeah. So that's... Those two stories really connected me mm. to get into sneakers because one, I had a personal connection to the Chuck Taylor because I really wanted it because it was a cool thing and it meant something. But then just a couple of years later, that red, black, and green Clyde Frazier shoe was me being a kid and still feeling like I was involved in something greater than yeah. me, that, that, that spoke to something greater than me. Powerful. Yeah, Powerful. exactly. So that's, mm. that's kind of where you know, my, my thing come from. I wonder why, I wonder why um, Puma has not released that colorway ever again. They might. They're going through it, you know, they're going through something. Who knows? They may be they're, digging they're, in their the archives, right? The current collection right? of things and the statements you they never make, know. to their credit, have been noteworthy. We'll say that. Well, like, when I think about, like, 
iconic colorways that they did. They did a black, yellow, and green oh, for yeah. Usain Bolt yeah, yeah. and tied it to, of course, Jamaica, mm -hmm. right? And I've, you know, we've long said this on the show, like, they had one of the best athletes, most in, the athletes world. in the world yeah. and totally dropped the ball when it yeah. came to marketing him. Exactly. Yeah. But you think about that story, red, black, and green. I mean, Pan-African colors, yeah. especially now, in this day and light, in this current climate. Let me add another component there, especially now with the retro phase being what it is, and exactly. they can actually, instead of dealing with the new iterations that they're doing, they can literally go back and re-release that particular Clyde buddy, that shoe. Wow. Well, you know As what's funny about the Clyde, right? So here's the interesting thing How about the Clyde, the right? at the bottom that it didn't bend? It didn't well, no. Bend. The, they, that, that was an interesting Listen, one. Listen. That was definitely a true one. The Over time, they never bend. The B-girls? Yeah, dude. Yeah. We used to hoop in those. It's amazing. But I think one of the things, just from a sneaker historian perspective for us, which is, you know, even in, you know, to, an anecdote to the story that you, you're telling, the Puma Clyde isn't a retro. The shoe itself, because they've never stopped making it. That's okay. True. So right, I got you. Okay. That's one of the mm. shoes in one of mm. the shoes in the entire industry that has they have never stopped making. Chuck so Taylor, Chuck Taylor never stopped so, making. Chuck Taylor, so of course, Chuck Taylor, is the highest sneaker of all time. Superstar never stopped I was gonna say the superstar. Right. superstar exactly. Never got okay. So so wow. It would be nothing for them to just simply go ahead and do that. That's true. Nothing. That's true. You know, but you know, I want to take it somewhere else in terms of the emotional connection to something bigger than yourself, and and this is something that you know I don't want to quote it to the letter, but something that I heard you said that's very profound in that, okay. taking it to your sneaker journalism history, the written word is always more powerful than any deliverable medium that we're using today. And talk about how you feel about that, especially being one of the vanguards yeah, of journalism. I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it in this standpoint. The publisher Slam Magazine, Dennis Page, we've had his argument going back and forth for years. You know, um, and he's a publisher, so you know he knows the business. He's like, I can sell more magazines with pictures than you can with words. Hmm. And I'm like, you probably can. That's a publishing thing, you know. And I get it because you know the, the, the attention, the, the attention span of, of the audience that you're trying to reach is probably, in your mind, not that young. But I said, I have yet to see a religion that's built off of pictures. Uh. Say that, a, say that one more time a, for them. Yet to see a religion that's built off of pictures and images. It's built off of words. Every religion we have around the world is built off of words. Yep. So while you can sell more magazines, words are always going to be more powerful. Yeah. Always. Facts. So that's kind of the way I, I you know. So I is that something it. you would have to argue at Slam all the time about? Or? No, 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 no. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was a healthy okay. argument. It was, it was always okay. a healthy argument. No, okay. no, it was a healthy argument because he always gave us space. He always gave us okay. space. He, I, I give Dennis credit. He never took away space or never felt that, you know, what we were doing from a, a, a literary standpoint should all any, at any point be overshadowed okay. by something visual. You know, it was just my point of view and, and, and like Russ's point of view and um, other writers at Slam Magazine, you know, our points of views about the importance of writing and what it meant to the magazine, that area of journalism. Right. But as a publisher, it, you know, and he knew that, you know, look, these images and what we're doing. Now, to his point, he wasn't just doing standard images. Now, he was, he was, that's what separated what we were doing over there than anything else, and especially connecting to the sneaker industry. Okay. If, if you go back to the old issues of Slam and the beginning of Slam, look at Sports Illustrated, look at Sport News, look at all the other magazines that were dealing with sports at the time. 
most of the action shots that you got to play, especially in basketball, were always cut here. Exactly. Because they were focusing on the chest and the face area. Right. We were giving full head-to-toe body shots. Sneaker companies love that because right. they were getting shots. They, we were giving them shoe shots. Marketing right. for them, promotion. Right. And that's one of the things that Dennis was doing. On per- purpose? Purposefully. Okay. Right. okay. So he said, I can sell more because Nike wants to fuck with me. Right. Adidas exactly. wants to fuck with me. Right. Because I'm giving them free advertising by doing everything mm. the NBA is not doing by showing the athletes okay. in full action. Right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he he was very cognizant of that. So when he says I can sell more magazines doing pictures, you can't words. That's a purposeful statement that he's that's using true. to I put it into play, okay. right? Right. Hmm. And, <laughs> and and I think the interesting thing about that is when you look at even Sports Illustrated before that, and you know there was no method to their madness in terms of the sneaker shot per se. No. Right. But you think about Sports Illustrated as one of the catalysts for. Even you take the Air Jordan 5 with the reflective tongue. Yes. The perspective of the visual on court. On yes. court. Full. Yes, exactly. Extension of that athlete's experience in air. Here's the thing. They did it with their posters. Because Sports Illustrated was the first place that even Nike did off of Sports Illustrated posters. Exactly. So you got the full body action shots in their posters, but they didn't use it in their magazine, which is right. weird. Because people, kids, we were buying that up. That was it. The yeah. Sports Illustrated posters on our wall. We had them. Exactly. All shoe shots. Yep. yep. All in there. But why they didn't use that when it came to publishing, you know. Hmm. Well, I think, them, I, don't, I, know, think that it was itself, I don't know. I think it lent itself to the counter of Dennis with your argument mm-hmm. of the word being more of importance. True. I can see that. Than the visual. I think they were the counter that supported your argument. Right. right. And for us... Yeah, for Sports Illustrated, it was that poster, it was that cover shot. But a lot of us actually really read Sports Illustrated. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. We did. And they we had the best it. writers in the world, and they still released that. We're, and I'm not I'm thinking about it from a magazine standpoint, me being a magazine like nerd or whatever. You're right, because at that time, all of the imagery that was dealing with print media went to Life magazine. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. the concentration, mm-hmm. and, and with Life, I think at the time, they were still both under time, like, so they were owned by the same company. Yep. You know, they didn't transfer that importance for photojournalism to Sports Illustrated to that degree. You know, let, let, let yeah. life handle that. They, they, they definitely gave this. a priority to yeah. the sports writer right. and the journalistic perspective, mm-hmm. which, you know, again, to, to you know... Even though Walter, Walter Isles became pretty iconic through Sports because Illustrated. Because of Sports Illustrated, But it was more for portraits than right. it was for writing. Actually, okay. Yeah, you're right. So, but for you, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that, Think about where we are now with, you know, again, you mentioned attention spans and the need for people to, to be captivated and the amount of time that we keep them is shorter. How do you manage that now? And when you're, when you, when you're doing your storytelling, has your perspective changed because of that? Not really from a perspective standpoint. Um, I've just tried to focus on being very cognizant about how I use my words and how much faster I have to be to the point impactful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know um, and and as a conversation I was having yesterday and not and I don't want to say this the wrong way and have anybody get offended but not using social media outlets to take away from using 
that same space for something greater as a column or a story. Okay. Like, I don't waste a, a good, fly, dope sentence and put it on Twitter when I know I can use that small, dope sentence, you know. Very good. I got 140 or 300 characters to use in Twitter. I'm like, oh, that'd be a dope line I could just throw out there, you know, even to tease a story. I'm like, why not just put it in the story with some context around it and make it stronger? Right. So, you know, that type of thinking has allowed, I think, the work to still stay relevant mm -hmm. because I'm not taking anything away from the mindset of being impactful just in a, in a, in a shorter frame space. To, and the to value of your written work. Right, exactly. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. I mean, there's, power, there's, a, there's power in there. Again, like when you go back to talking about athletes that you've interviewed or, right. again, a sneaker moment in time. Right. You know, I always think about the vignettes and even Soul Provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, gonna yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, that. Right, yeah. right. There's so many stories in there that right. makes people like say, oh, I want more. Right. Was that on purpose? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, th there was a lot of things that were purposeful in the book. And, and from a writer standpoint, from an author standpoint, I was, I looked at that project as a book. Okay. And to the imagery standpoint, the guy who really book is Ray, but Ray Butts' book. He was his genius. He was the one behind the book. Mm. But he came with the same kind of mindset that Dennis had about imagery. Mm. And if you look at that book, that, that book is just, forget what I wrote. You can take what I wrote out of that. And that book is amazing. True. Just the beauty of it. And Ray would challenge me day to day, week to week, month to month, while we were putting that book together. Mm -hmm. And he'd like, all right, this is the shot I'm doing for the phone posit. You better bring some heat to the table. Uh, okay. and it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a shot of a phone posit. He took a like phone posit and dropped. No, no, no. Was the phone posit the, the phone? Huh? Flight posit. Was it the flight? Flight, flight. It was the flight posit. Sorry, the flight okay. posit. Phone posit was the Beetle because that was the Penny Hardaway. The flight posit was what he, which, but he showed me everything. But I'm using the flight posit as an example. Mm -hmm. Like, he dipped it in an aquarium. Right, right. You right. know what I'm saying? Exactly. And and you saw the bubbles coming up like it was a fifth. He's like, good luck outriding that. He would do that all the time. I'm like, oh, He's like, balls wow. in your court. Exactly, right. So it, it was the power of me trying to match or beat his imagery. Mm -hmm. When he showed me what he did with the blazer and put it oh, on, man. like, on, a, a, on, on a, no, 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 no. He put, George Gerber was like, he put it on a mink rug. It's a mink, it's a white mink rug wow. that that blue suede Blazer is on, and I'm That's like, right. this fool here. <laughs> Talk about raising the bar, right? Right. Time. So, but 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 I'm looking at this as all right. I'm getting challenged, and I'm, once again, I've been challenged by you know cats who creative and visually creative, looking at imagery. Yeah. All right, I got to step. I got to bring this every day, every, every day, every. I got to bring wow. it every day. And Ray challenged me to do that, so I bought what I thought was equivalent to what he was doing visually. Okay. Right. That's fine. But I looked at it as a book. Mm. Ray from the very beginning, had this as a gateway. He knew that this book, if done properly and correctly, mm. was going to, to usher, be, in. usher in and be spoken about oh, yeah. for 25, 30 years. How many people actually yeah. How many people have here copies have of Soul Provider? Yeah, Soul Provider, raise your hands, yeah, all okay. right. So, I, you know, and, and once again, my approach to that was like, all right, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to write the dopest book. You know, as, as we say in the industry, I'm gonna try to 
I'm gonna try to dead this. And when we say we dead this, we try to write stuff in a way that no after it's done, nobody else can follow it. it. Right, nobody is dead. Nobody can touch it. You know, in Ray's mind, Ray was on such a higher level mm. of thinking of that. I'm trying to just get the best out of myself and deaden the whole thing. Like, mm. nobody's ever going to write a sneaker book again. Yeah. Like, Bobito's going to be mad at me. I <laughs> that. You know, that's what I was on. Ray was on some, like, this, I want this to be so much bigger than mm. just a book. And he knew what he was doing with it. And that's, that's part of his genius. So, seeing ahead, yeah. Yeah, seeing, visually seeing ahead what this had the power to do, not necessarily inside Nike, but, in, but, but for the entire sneaker culture. Mm. Well, you know, when we started our social studies program in 2011, we had a book, a, a list of recommended books. Mm. And Soul Provider is definitely one of oh, those books. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. For, for the reason that we saw the value in not just the pictures, but for us and our students, that written word, that context yeah. to these shoes, because mm. one perspective behind it when we launched in 2011 was these were shoes people already owned. Right. But they were never able to really see some of the perspective and the knowledge and the history that went into the creation of here, here, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to, like, cut you off or no, go, go on top of you, but go I'm, for it. Go for it. What, what it was was all we tried, everybody had those shoes, mm -hmm. but they never knew the story from the shoes perspective. Exactly. That's all we tried exactly. to do. Like, look, if these shoes could speak. This is what they would exactly. say. This is what they would say. That's yeah. it. So yeah. you had Absolutely. them, but you never knew the shoe story. And right. not from the outside looking in, from the life that each one of those shoes lived. Right. Now, you had your own personal experience with the shoe. You right. had your own personal right. experience. Exactly. Yeah. But nobody got a chance to hear what the shoe had to say. And that was right. the approach we came with. Like, look, these shoes have a life of their own, that's all really 50 of them. So let's tell their story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let's yeah. tell that's, the story from the inside. And, and that's kind of what it was. And Ray like. pushed you. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray. To the level where those stories, you know, honestly, personally, they're, they're you know, timeless. Yeah, we tried to make it that way. In that regard, because, yeah. again, how many people really tell it from the shoe perspective? We get the athlete, we get the designer. The way yeah. that was, you know, so skillfully crafted from a literary perspective, that's why we kind of recommended that as sort of a necessary reading for right. if you were serious about being one of the students in our program. Right. Well, one of the things, too, I think a lot of people geeked out about, I know I certainly did, was seeing, especially seeing the sketches from the designers yeah, with their little get, notes yeah, on them. Credit. That was the first time that had been done. So I had never seen a yeah, lot of that before. nobody ever seen that before, right. So that was like a new thing, like, ooh, okay, so so-and-so designed that, and look at their notes, talking about the stitching here, yeah. placement of logo, yeah. material. Yeah, I mean, that's everywhere now, you know, yeah, but right. back then when we did that the was book, that had not been done. No. Nobody had ever seen that before. Nobody had gone no. that deep. And credit to Nike for really opening up the gates. I give them credit. They, um, when they had me do the book, they, they really were like all access, like you, you know, whatever, you know, we not hiding. Look, we not hiding shit. Go tell the stories you want to tell. Now, before this thing gets released, you got to meet with our lawyers. But <laughs> you know, go out and tell whatever story. Yeah. And, they, and they gave me little, they gave me access as if they were trying to sign me to, you know, like they were trying to sign LeBron. Seriously, okay. like whatever you want, whatever you need. So I met with everybody and I think through me speaking with them and me interviewing everybody from Tinker to Mark Parker to Eric Avar to Howard White to, you know, uh, Peter Bauman, Bruce Kilgore, you know, all the cats that go through Nike's whole thing. 
and they don't even have names, they have numbers, you know, because they were like number three employee, number five employee, you know, <laughs> talking to all those cats and getting all those stories and, and opening up the gates too, like, all right. And they were the ones like, look, all right, you want to know how the Air Max started here? Let me show you. And they're going into their vaults and showing like the first renditions of, and they're like, oh shit, and you're looking at it like so, and they're explaining this to you. And they're like, if y'all, you want it for the book here, you can take it. You know, right? So they're like, "Oh shit, for real!" Like, like, what? Wait, for real? Right? And you're like, yeah, wow. make sure they return it. You know, but you right. know, but it's, but it was all internal, so it knew it wasn't gonna leave anywhere. Right. So just having those experiences, I think, made the book made the that book much that richer. Yeah, yeah. It, it made the experience that much richer. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool, cool, dope. So I mean, if you haven't, or if you need to revisit the definitely experience now after we have Scoop talking about it, definitely pick up a copy of Soul Provider. Um, we want to make sure. There's a funny story behind that. Good, good luck getting your hands on one. Okay. Contractually. With Nike, my contract with them for that book, I was supposed to get 40 copies of the book, and I did get 40 copies of the book mailed to me. Uh-huh, and? They asked for 36 back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, dead, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I literally, I have two copies of that book. That's it, because two went away, but I literally only have two copies of that book. Wow. They wanted 36 back. What is that? I, I lie to myself and say maybe high demand. I don't we, know. We're not, we, 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 we not trying to get him in trouble. We no, no, it's not trouble. That's good. That, 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 <laughs> that was a long time ago. Got to go on eBay now and try to buy one. Exactly. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have to. You have but, to. But, but we want to get you to tell one of your legendary stories that a lot of us who get the privilege of hearing you tell those, we want to get you to tell one. Do you have one preference or story you want to hear? Oh, I want to hear that um, that Iverson story. The one about good. me leaving Slam Magazine? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because, uh, like, like... No, because it's, it's funny, because I'm Because everyone was speculating on, like, Nike Talk and all these message boards and stuff like that. True? Oh. People were, like, making... I mean, I call it MSUing. It's called making shit up. Right. Everyone was making shit up of why. Mm -hmm. Of why what? Why you left. Yeah. But I didn't leave. Exactly. Oh, no, you're talking about why I left ultimately? Ultimately. Like, like, right. 11 years later? Right. Okay. Yeah, no, like, no, 11 right. years later? Yeah. <laughs> People, like, no one really knew. It's funny. It's, okay, I'll answer, I'll answer that question. I'll go back into it. And it's funny, because now, as I think about it, they're all connected. Yeah, exactly. I, I left because I, there were no many Allen Iverson. There was nothing more to say about Allen Iverson. <laughs> I had done, like, six. I mean, I couldn't. I, I got tired of write, writing about Allen Iverson, to be honest. I just got tired of writing about it. That's my man. Like, like he's my man, Wavy. He's my man, a billion. That's my dude for life. But I couldn't. There was no more Iverson stories to we tell. Like, and I, was, I was like, I gotta go. I it's gotta dead. do something else. I gotta, I gotta do something else. But to put it in context, for you were the first one to put him on a magazine. That's kind of right what first. it boils down to. Now here, right. so let's bring this full circle, and it goes back to Dennis Page and the, the differences of how we look at things. I was in New York at the U.S. Open because uh, my father and I, you know. That was our pilgrimage. We'd go to the U.S. Open together. We used to, he, used to, he and his boys used to go to Super Bowl together, and I was mm. young, because he, he and his black folks, they, we were amazing when we decided to do things. My father and his boys used to take $20 out of every paycheck they got and put it in a jar, mm. and at the end of the year, they would use that money to go to Super Bowl every year. Oh, wow. That was their thing. That was their Super Bowl money, right? Mm. So in 1986, when the Bears, Chicago, Bears. Chicago Bears were there, it was in New Orleans. I was in school in New Orleans. Bears of Patriots, right? Bears of Patriots, exactly. So my, fa my father's whole crew was in New Orleans, so I got to hang with them oh, because wow. I was in school there. And drinking age in New Orleans was still 18. 18. Louisiana was 18. Yeah, so yeah. I really got to hang with them for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I hung on players to the Super Bowl, all of the Bears in the good. A couple of years later, when I got old enough, I met them in San Diego for the Super Bowl. And my father and his friends were like, all right, we've done this. And I did it twice. They had done it like 20 years. Wow. They're like, all right, we're done. You know, we're, cool. you know, the Super Bowl thing, we've done it. You know, it's, it's cool. We'll start going to everybody's city so like to go see TV each other. has high def now. We're good. Right. And I'm mad because now I'm grown enough to go, and I'm starting to put my little $20 away so I can meet them. And, go and now y'all shut yeah. it down. So my dad's like, well, shit, why don't we just do, me and you do our own thing? And we're both tennis-like lovers. My father played tennis in college. I've been playing tennis all my life, so, you know, that was a thing. He's like, let's just, instead of, let's go to U.S. Open. Yeah. Cool. Bet. So U.S. Open was my father's, and that was, that was, that was our pilgrimage. We did it. We did it every year. One year, after, it was, it was Allen Iverson going into his freshman year at Georgetown. Oh, I got a call from somebody, and I forgot who gave me the call, but the Kenner Tournament was going on in D.C., and Kenner Tournament is like the, it's, 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 it's D.C.'s version of the Pro-Am. Oh, Pro-Am or Rucker. Yeah, yeah. Pro-Am or Rucker or the L.A., um, Julie, exact yeah. same thing. And Iverson, they're like, you gotta, you gotta see this dude. You gotta see this dude. Mm. Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson, Georgetown? Matter of fact, he was, it was going into a sophomore year. I said, Allen Iverson, Georgetown, the, the defensive player of the year in the Big East? Mm. They're like, yeah, you got to see. He's averaging 50 up here on pros. Uh, you got to come see this. And I'm what? like, all right. I'm like, I'm, I'm in New York. So I'm like, Dad, uh, I'm going to grab this, you know, after the U.S. Open, instead of flying back to Chicago, I hiked to the D.C. Went to, found out what game he was playing in, got there, got there late. I got to this game at halftime. All right, and as I'm walking in, I'm looking for Iverson, and I'm looking, and he's standing over there on the sideline. He spent the entire halftime arguing with whoever dude was the coach. Like, they're arguing. And if you all know Allen Iverson, he don't argue quietly. They're arguing. I look at the score. His team is down by 22. I asked the cat, though, so what's the Iverson guy? He said he got about 20. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to argue, but he's down by 22, so I'm getting they mad about something, right? Mm -hmm. And all I got to say is this. His team won, and he finished with 62. At that moment, I'm sitting there watching this cat, and he's, like, killing. I called Publisher Slam Magazine. I'm like, Dennis, we got to put Allen Iverson on the, the cover of the next issue. <laughs> He's like, we've never had a college player on the cover of right. Issue of Slam magazine. Nobody knows who the fuck Allen Iverson is. I'm like, I don't care. Allen Iverson is the next Baron Davis. <laughs> Welcome, what up, BD? So, um, so seriously, and we go back and forth, and I'm like, this got to happen. So, like, the, 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 the next day, I go back to New York, go into the office of Slam. We're having this argument, and I'm, and I'm telling, I'm, I'm talking to Dennis Page. Like, I have seen, I've lived, in my mind, I've seen the future basketball. I'm like, this dude is the future, I'm telling you, mm. I, what I watched this dude do. And we're arguing back and forth, and I'm like, Dennis, look, man. And I'm not saying that I would have done it, I don't know. My black ass has done crazy things before. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't put this dude on a cover of this magazine, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. Mm. I'm walking. Wow. And, I, you know, I don't know if he took it as a real threat or whatever, but 
to his point, his whole point was like, nobody knows who this cat is. We don't do college ball players. Nobody's going to buy this issue. But he said to me in that moment, it wasn't like, scoop, don't leave, scoop, don't leave. He was like, okay. Once again, I know publish. You know, he's like, you, 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 you smart, but you think you're too smart. You think you know this game. I've been doing this for years, man. He said, okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll put him we'll in put the, on cover. the cover. Now, he's smart about it because he only, he split the cover. Right. He put Iverson on one half and Akeem Olajuwon on the other one. And he only yep. sold Iverson on the East Coast where he thought he was going to be known. Right. Um, so... We did that. It actually turned out to be the worst selling issue in the history. <laughs> wow. To this day. No. Like even at the time, yes, and to this day, <laughs> the worst selling issue ever. Like it can, we, you rate magazine sales in fractions of 10. Yeah. So if you get like a 40 or 50, you're doing good. That's, that's a mm. decent sale. Yeah. If you do a 30, that's what you kind of target for. Middle, okay. This was in the tens. Mm. It was horrible. Why? To his point, nobody knew, knew who, who the was. fuck Allen Iverson was. Mm. It's a cat from Georgetown on the cover of a magazine okay. making a layup. They're like, who, you know, right. who is it? We don't know who this dude is. But, and I was like, all right, man, point. Point taken, point learned. Like I said, I don't know this published thing. I got this writing thing, but I don't know this published thing. Right. He's like, you know, but... Because we were the first ones, and because John Thompson granted us an interview, and we really didn't go in on the whole jail thing, we strictly talked about basketball right. and the culture of basketball, because that's what we did as a magazine. That's really the first time I think Chuck ever felt appreciated. Mm. As an athlete, as a black man, as a human being, you know, as just a person. Just and you know, when you say Chuck, you're talking about his Alan nickname as Chuck. Right, 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 right. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, so Alan just felt that way. And he, like, basically, he's the kind of guy that loves hard. So he's like, man, we, we, we ride or die. You know, right. anything, you're, like, it was like, y'all, y'all my people. You know, okay. it really, so he felt a real affinity to Slam Magazine. So anytime we ever needed anything, he was like, I got you. So... Fast forward. Fast forward to him getting the NBA, the, M the MVP of the MVP, rookie game. Yep. And with the cornrows in his head, that the NBA was like, what the fuck, you get the trophy, all this, that, and the other. He's like, yo, we're like, can we get a shot? We want to put you. He's like, yeah, come on. Let's, whatever y'all need, let's do it. Yep. And the NBA wanted him to put a cap on. He's like, I ain't putting no fucking cap. No, we're going to do this shit with my cornrows. So here's a lesson learned. And this is what Tony, the uh, editor, understood. Last time I put Alan Iverson on that magazine, it was kind of just plain. It was just him. The power of words. So shot Alan, Philly, cornrows. Exactly. But the tagline, the words were, who's afraid of Alan Iverson? Shot at the NBA, throwing mad shade at the NBA mm -hmm. on that shit, right? Mm -hmm. But people knew who he was at the right. time. But it was the who's afraid that got people in there. I think it was the third best-selling issue we had when that one dropped. Next time we came to Allen Iverson, oh, Mitchell and Ness Mitchell had and Ness Mitchell and Ness exactly. was just really kind of starting, and they were like, Tony White, he wanted to do a throwback issue. We were supposed to have Julius Irving on the cover. But because Mitchell and Ness had done, he asked, Tony asked them, can you do an Allen Iverson throwback? No, he said, can you do me a Hal Greer throwback oh, wow. and put Iris's name on the back. That's wow. what it was. And Mitchell and Ness did that and threw it. It's basically a Hal Greer jersey. Mm -hmm. 
threw Alan Iverson's name on the back, and he's like, look, let's see if we get Alan to be on the cover of this one instead of Julius Irving. And then when they told Alan what they were trying to do, it was Alan's idea to, to be like, oh, yes, this is throwback. Let's go throwback. He has never taken his braids off of anybody. But out. it goes back to our point. The relationship we had started with him. He trusted, like, hey, man, he, anything, he, he felt like he was part mm -hmm. of the family. Right. Right. Now, that issue drops the best-selling issue by far ever oh. in the History Magazine. So, Posters, everything. And, and so Dennis and I, from that point on, the conversation, like, sometimes you got to lose a million to make two million, dog. Mm -hmm. you, know this you know this publishing shit. I know this money shit. I know this culture shit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to take that hit in order mm -hmm. to make. So he was correct in that stage about, like, yeah, I'll, I'm not going to do this because it's going to lose me money. And I, I'm, like I said, full story, I don't know if I would have left. Mm -hmm. You know, because there, there was, you know, it, it depends on what my wife, what my wife would have said. <laughs> you know, right. motherfucker, you leave this place without finding another money income, that shit ain't gonna happen. Stick your ass there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stick, right, right, stick right, 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 right. They, like, you better find something else for you leave yeah. this right. So I don't know if I really would have left, but I put it out there. And it was more, and I don't, like I said, I don't think Dennis was even worried about that. Mm. He, like I said, he didn't like, no, please don't. It wasn't even that thing. He's like, I don't prove a point. And that was kind of our back and forth relationship for years, for 11 yeah. years. It's always a back and forth. Right. But I respect. But that's the full, honest, true story about how that wow. magazine happened, but how magazines after that with Allen Iverson on it became it basically became the identity of Slam Magazine. Absolutely. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so exactly. sometimes you got to look exactly. beyond money. You got to look beyond sales. You got to look beyond numbers and look at, you know, what this whole thing mean means in the bigger picture. Yeah, and that's, right. you know, wow, right. there it is. So there's, there's your truth to that story. Man, thank you. Yo. No problem. Scoop, thank you very much, thank man. Thank you very much. Can I say one thing? And yes, I'm not sir. saying that because he's here. That brother right there, that brother, no, seriously, I'm, a, I, he, I'm, I'm dropping the mic on this story right here. Yeah, uh-oh. I'm dropping uh -oh. mic on this story. I'm uh -oh. dropping uh -oh. mic, no, see, I'm okay. dropping mic on this story. People ask, and I'm not saying this because he's here. If you would ask me this question, you wouldn't have been here, I'd have given you the same answer. Okay. I get asked a lot, what is your favorite interview? Not best, favorite. Favorite, okay. And I always say Baron Davis, because you know why? I ask, in journalism, sometimes you ask the right question. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just ask the right question. I asked Baron Davis, after practicing shot on the bus, I asked him one question. He gave me a 45-minute answer. <laughs> I'm dead serious. But what was the question? How do, what was it? How did you get to this point in your life? Yep. <laughs> and he literally, he gave me his entire life story about his grandmother's and grandfather raising him, it, you know, with uh, the basketball and the hoop and the he, he gave me his entire life story in 45. I was sitting there like, this is the greatest shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You heard correctly. Episode number 366 is in the books. The world's most dangerous sneaker talk show returned for a special episode live at the African American Footwear Forum in Portland, Oregon at the Portland Art Museum. We got to thank our guests, Scoop Jackson, and we have to thank all of you, the disorderlies who've been supporting us all these years, who got to enjoy this special episode. So you know what to do. Make sure you comment, share this, and as we always say, keep your laces tied tight, your tongues loose, walk good. OSD out, y'all. Peace. Peace.